if the missions team that's going to Mexico here next week, if you guys want to make your way up uh, to this makeshift so-called stage, that'd be great. Um, here this next uh, Saturday morning, the 18th at 5:10 a.m. from Midway, uh, we fly out, a team of 13, heading down to uh, to serve with Isaiah 55 Ministries in Reynosa, Mexico. And so we're grateful to be alongside one another and grateful for your prayers in the coming days. And as we serve that week, we'll be uh, primarily, I believe, uh, serving and helping their, uh, their deaf school make some improvements to their building and their property. And so I'm grateful for these, uh, these households, the multiple generations, to be able to be alongside one another and serving. So Joel Zare is going to lead us in prayer this morning. Uh, good morning. Kids, I just want to, before we pray, um, I want you to listen for three words uh, as we pray together this morning. So it's a family of servant missionaries. Okay, so Sun Chasers, if you listen for those words, family and servant and missionaries. Let's pray together, church. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning and pray over our brothers and sisters. Um, God, we, we first and foremost want to lift you high and recognize that you are the giver of life. You are the giver of this opportunity to, to send out our brothers and sisters. Um, God, our identity as individuals, our identity as a church is found in you, found in Christ. Our identity is a servant, our family of servant missionaries. God, we thank you for the family you've put together here locally, that we can pray over one another, not only in this moment, but as we send out our brothers and sisters um, to meet with others that are part of your family. God, we understand that your family is expanding all over the world, and so we pray with our brothers and sisters that as they head down to Reynosa, that they would um, recognize that they are partnering with others that um, have become part of the family of God to, to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, not only are we a family, but we are a family of servants. We've been bought with a price. We have been uh, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and so um, we recognize that we give all of our lives to you. Um, as, as our brothers and sisters head down this week, that not only in the moments of working with their hands or speaking with their mouths, but just within them, Lord, that you would continue to grow them to be disciples of Christ, to be dependent on you, and to walk in trust and in faith uh, in your plan as, as they are, are working with their hands, as they are sharing the gospel, as they are just spending time uh, with the people that you already um, anticipate them encountering. God, we know that, that we are missionaries. We get the opportunity to participate and partner with you in the mission of spreading the gospel. And so, uh, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters as they, as they prepare to leave, as they prepare to um, enter a new area, as they prepare for new experiences, that you would already shape and form their hearts uh, as their identity is wrapped up in their uh, status as a family of servant missionaries, um, that they would be... Um, in recognition of your spirit that will work powerfully through them, in recognition that you are already there, Lord, um, in Reynosa and working through the, the communities there and the lives of people, and that as they uh, partner with um, brothers and sisters in Christ, as they um, get the opportunity to serve alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, and as they get the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the work of their hands, through the conversations they have, and through just time spent um, on mission, Lord, we pray that you would give them energy during their days, rest during their nights, and just uh, sweet times of recognition of trust and faith and, um, and love that you provide for them wherever they may be found. 
And so, God, we ask that uh, during this upcoming couple of weeks that you would remind us as your body and your family to pray over them, to cover them in prayer, uh, to cover um, the people they'll meet in prayer, and to um, anticipate the work uh, of the kingdom that will be done there, to anticipate the, um, the opportunity for more people to be brought into your family, Lord, and to find their identity in Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Crosspoint. I'm Matt Wiegan. Tiffany and the boys and I have called Crosspoint home for 20 years. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. Let's hear God's word. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not, be- not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But we, excuse me, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Kent Heinrichsen. Um, I'm the youth and college pastor at Crosspoint. And um, for those who are wondering, uh, I was not here when the when we were meeting at the middle school. Um, I um, I started attending Crosspoint when they are in their current location now. And like Jessica said um, in the uh, opener, that being here is a great reminder that the local church is not just a building. The local church is uh, a body of believers, um, regardless of what physical space they they meet in. And so I'm thankful to be here. Um, I'm thankful to um, worship alongside of you this morning and open God's word with you. This morning, we're going to continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. Specifically, we're going to be looking at chapter 13. So if you have a Bible and you want to get there, that would be... Um, That'd be great. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, 
uh, as Dave Wolf had already mentioned, it's known as the love chapter as um, it is the main passage for many weddings. Um, but before we go through this chapter, I wanted to find this word love. Uh, this uh, word love appears several times in chapter 13. And I think it would be helpful to have uh, a clear definition, an understanding of what love we are talking about. Love is an unselfish, loyal, and benevolent intention and commitment toward another. This is a definition from the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. And I think it's important to have this definition because the word love gets thrown around a lot in society. We see phrases like, love is love. We see songs uh, like, all you need is love. We use this word to describe our affections for food, our fanatics for sports teams, activities, and we use this same word to describe our affections for our family, friends, and spouses. I don't know about you, but I know for myself personally, my concept of what love is has changed throughout my life. It has changed based off of um, my knowledge and understanding of who God is and his love for me. You know, I, I first thought I knew what love was when I was in the eighth grade. You know, when I had my first, quote-unquote, serious girlfriend, I was confident that it was love because of my affection and that the fact that it also hurt me when she broke it off about a year later. Uh, the reality was, though, I was super selfish in that situation, and wherever there is serving of the self, biblical love is actually absent. My understanding of love changed again uh, when I confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. I began to understand God's sacrificial and never-ending love for me. That understanding of his love for me uh, deepened as I married my bride, and we've been married for three years, and continuing to understand the connection between what it means as husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. My understanding of God's sacrificial and never-ending love has continued to deepen through these past three weeks as I understand the love that a parent has for a child and how that connects, how God loves his child, his children. The more and more I understand of what love is, the more and more I go back to this definition that love is an unselfish, loyal, filled with benevolent or kind intention and, is, and has a commitment aspect toward another. Now, it's this, with this understanding of love that we will study chapter 13. Now, chapter 13 isn't just like a random passage that is just placed in the letter of Corinthians. Paul wrote this passage because of what was going on in the church at Corinth. Last Sunday, we observed in chapter 12 how the Corinthian church, uh, they were valuing certain spiritual gifts over others. And this caused division, division in the church and caused certain people to be marginalized from the community because they... Uh, didn't exhibit certain spiritual gifts. Paul reminds them, yes, you are diverse in your giftings and your abilities, but you are unified. You are one in Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, we are all given one spirit to drink. We see this again in 1 Corinthians 12, 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. In chapter 13, Paul writes on how to have unity in the midst of diversity. And the key to this unity is love. Love that will bring people together as one 
body. So it's with this understanding that we'll start reading 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a cleaning symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I want to pause here for a moment and look at these first three verses. Here we see the first of three points of this morning's sermon about love. The first point is this, that biblical love originates from the heart. Biblical love originates from the heart. If you go back and look at these three verses, we see multiple abilities and actions that are listed. But without love, Paul says they are nothing. Verse 1, if I speak a human or angelic tongue but do not have love. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love. Verse 3, if I give away all my possessions and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love. This implies that love is not just merely an action. Love is something that originates from the heart. Now, this doesn't mean that love is just this gushy, mushy feeling either. Rather, biblical love is a choice of an attitude that we have towards someone else. Remember the definition of love we started off with? Unselfish, loyal, benevolent or kind intention, commitment toward one another. These are attitudes. These are attitudes that we can choose to have towards one another. Now, this point was important for Paul to get across to the Corinthian church because the people at Corinth at this time were valuing certain gifts over other gifts. They thought that they were considered more spiritual than others if they had certain abilities or did certain actions. They thought having certain gifts would bring them closer to God. It would appear that they have a a closer relationship with God to those watching them. Paul reminds them that spiritual gifts or abilities without biblical love gains them nothing. God is not concerned about your abilities, but rather Paul is reminding the Corinthians that God is concerned about your heart. We see this throughout the Bible. Hosea 6.6 says this, and this is God speaking to Hosea, For I desire faithful love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Micah 6.6-8 says, What should I bring before the Lord? When I come to bow before God on high, should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousand streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. And this theme continues in the New Testament. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 13, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. We see throughout the Bible, and even here, Paul is reminding of this truth that God is concerned about your heart. He wants your heart. God wants your affections toward him and for your affections to be toward others. When your heart is focused on loving God and loving others, we see that the outward actions will flow from the heart attitude. 
Now, so we can see from these first few verses that biblical love originates from the heart. And next we're going to see what biblical love looks like, how, to des- how it's described. So let's continue reading chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Again, let's just pause here for a moment to see the second point that biblical love neglects self. Biblical love neglects self. Now, we see this throughout all these verses. I mean, it screams off the page that biblical love neglects self. We see love is patient, that it's neglecting the selfish tendency for immediate satisfaction. We see that love is kind, neglecting the selfish tendency to put others down. Love does not envy. We're neglecting the selfish tendency to focus on what you don't have. Love is not boastful or not arrogant, not rude. We're neglecting the selfish tendency to elevating ourselves higher than others. It is not self-seeking. Biblical love neglects the selfish tendency to seek your own interests over the interests of others. It is not irritable. does not keep a record of wrongs. We see biblical love neglecting the selfish tendency to avoid conflict by not standing up for God's truth in His Word and instead choosing to compromise bears all things, or finds no joy in un... Sorry. Read the wrong thing. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We see that biblical love neglecting the selfish tendency to choose an easy and comfortable path in following Jesus. I hope you see that when we choose to love biblically, we are choosing to neglect, to say no to, our selfish tendencies and saying yes to sacrificing for the benefit of the other person and for the glory of God. Now, a question that I had when studying this passage was this. You know, why would Paul use this description to paint this picture of what love is? And I want to suggest to you this morning that Paul observed the love that God had for the Israelites in the Old Testament. Paul also observed the love that Jesus had for humanity and that we read about in the Gospels. Paul was given an understanding that the love that God has Uh, that he shows believers after Christ's ascension, and Paul wrote a very, very short description of lists of words that describe some of the things that we see in God's love for humanity, God's love for you, and God's love for me. He observed all of it. He wrote a very small list. He wrote a very small list. Why? Because God's love is so vast. Now, not only this is this how God has loved believers from eternity past to future, but Paul is writing to the Corinthian church that this is what our love should be like. Our love should resemble God's love. Our love should be an overflow from what we have received from God. And this isn't just a good idea or a good goal to have or to pursue. The reality is that what Paul writes here, this is the standard the standard that God has for believers. And when we fail to meet the standard of loving God and loving others, we, we sin. We, we sin. And sin is more than just doing things that 
God told us not to do, sin is also not doing the things that God told us to do. Part of the definition of sin is missing the mark, to not meet the standard. And so I ask you when, you, when you look through this description of what love is, this very short description, you know, where have you sinned in not loving others? Have you been impatient with anyone this week? Have you envied someone else this week? Have you sought only your own gain in a relationship with another person this past week? Have you brought up past wrongs with someone this past week? Have you avoided conflict by not speaking biblical truth in a situation this past week? Have you been lazy in your love this past week? Have you sought comfort over loving others this past week? I want you to be honest. Don't justify it. Allow the Spirit to convict you. Because here's the reality. All of us in this place, myself included foremost, we have failed to love to the standard that God has for believers. You know, I thought being married revealed my own selfishness, but having a newborn, let's just say, it exposed a level of selfishness that I was completely unaware of. So I know that I've sinned this past week and not loving how God commands us to love in Scripture. How about you? The good news is this, that God's love toward you is also patient it is kind. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It endures all things for those in Christ. So when our sin is exposed, we have a loving God who wants to continue to be in a relationship with you, who wants to continue to mold you to more reflect his goodness and his glory. And all he asks us to do is to repent and to turn away from our sin and seek after him. That's the gospel. That is good news. And the beautiful part of this is that the more we understand God's holiness as the standard, the more that our sin is exposed, the more we will see our need for the gospel more and more. Jesus says this in Luke 7, those who recognize more of the forgiveness that God has shown them, they, they love God more. Those who don't recognize their need for forgiveness love little. If we want to love others well, we first need to understand the love that we have been given, the love that we've been shown from God, the love that God has for us. One hymn writer wrote this describing the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forever more endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies a parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above, it would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever more endure as the saints and angels' song. If we want to love others well, we first need to understand the love that we have been given.
the love that God has for you and for me. Now let's continue reading 1 Corinthians 13 as we finish up this chapter starting in verse 8. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. From these final verses, we see our third and final point this morning, that biblical love endures forever. Biblical love endures forever. First point, just to summarize, biblical love originates from the heart. Second point, biblical love neglects self. And finally, we're here where biblical love endures forever. And this is Paul's kind of big issue with the Corinthian uh, dispute on spiritual gifts. Paul says that they're arguing, they're comparing, and they're dividing over something that ultimately will cease. Not only that, but they're missing out what actually matters, but will actually continue forever, and that is love. Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians that spiritual gifts that they are seeking after only are temporary until Jesus comes back. And Paul uses two different illustrations to help his point uh, to get his point across that, uh, of something is partial versus something that is more complete. First, the illustration is that of maturing from a child to an adult. Children, they think that, um, you know, they know more than, than adults sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but me being a youth pastor, I've uh, recognized that uh, uh, just a few times. Um, children, even though they might have those tendencies, they have not had the life experience they don't have the wisdom that comes with that life experience that adults have. Children have a partial understanding what adults have a more complete understanding of. The second illustration that Paul uses is, is that of a mirror. When you look into a mirror, you only see a reflection, not the actual person. It is a, it's a partial of who the actual person is. But when you stand face to face with that person, you are actually seeing the real person not merely a reflection. Both of these illustrations are backing up the point that, this, that spiritual gifts of prophecy and tongues exist as only showing a partial image of who God really is. Therefore, when Jesus, God in flesh, comes back to set up his earthly kingdom in the new earth, after the events in Revelation have happened, we will know and understand completely, not needing the gifts of tongues or prophecy. But what does that mean in this age? The age to come when, when we're waiting for Jesus to come back. What does this mean? It means that we need to focus on love because love is the thing that remains. Love remains in this age and then also the age to come when Jesus comes back. Even though we are flawed in how we love God and love others, when Jesus steps into his kingdom on the new earth, we will be able to perfectly love God and love others. And I don't know about you, but I know for me that I'm longing with anticipation for that day. 
I'm waiting to be physically in the presence of Jesus and to be in a place where sin is no more and we're able to love God and love others perfectly. But until that day, we're called to love others while we're still here on earth. And we recognize that we can, that one day we'll be able to love them perfectly. To conclude, I, I just want to go over these three points again and, and hopefully paint this picture that love is, that true biblical love is this. It originates from the heart, neglects the self, and endures forever. And when we love with a biblical love that unifies us rather than divides us, this love will bring together a church body that is diverse in its spiritual gifts in order to operate as one body with Christ as the head. This love is a unifying love. It brings the church together as one. O-N-E. O, biblical love that originates from the heart. N, a biblical love that neglects the self. And E, a biblical love that endures forever. When we show this love towards people, we get a very tiny glimpse of the love that God has. God who is triune, three different persons, distinct, but loving each other perfectly in a unified Godhead. And when we do this, we love others who are different from us, who are diverse, who are molded differently from us, but have a a unity in Christ. So my encouragement to you and to myself is for this week, let's go out and let's glorify God by loving God and loving others in a way that brings him glory and praises his name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for just this opportunity to open your word to um, just be able to see biblical truths of how much you love us, God, and what you command us to do with that, and that is to love others well. God, we, we confess our, uh, our sin when we fail to do so. God, we know that you are faithful to forgive. God, we pray that you continue to mold us, change our hearts, transform us into your likeness, into people who uh, continue to bring you glory and to praise your name and to expand your kingdom here on earth. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.